Right, welcome to the Inter-Christianity Podcast, where we try to engage culture, movements, philosophy, theology, etc. from an evangelical Asian-American standpoint. Um, I am Isaac. I am joined by Zephaniah and Angela, as always. And uh, we are all Asian-Americans here. And as Asian-Americans, we have watched the rise of anti-Asian violence over the past year or so with some consternation. And it seems to be particularly bad over the last couple of months, I'd say. Um, There are multiple stories of violence towards Asians, the most recent of which that I've heard about is about an elderly Asian-American woman in Manhattan being attacked by a man in broad daylight. He basically just front kicks her as she's walking, minding her own business. I think she's walking to church and kicks her down and continues to kick her when she's on the ground while other people watch and don't do anything. And reportedly when he was doing this, he was hurling anti-Asian insults at her. And so she was a 65 year old woman, I believe, who, and then she was hospitalized. While it is not clear if all such violence against Asians are, is racially motivated, uh, many of them like this one obviously are. And the main motivation for being racist is, to, is blame for the genesis and spread of COVID-19, I think. Though there's probably other things wrapped up in that as well. Now, while all rational people condemn such violence, not everyone agrees with how to frame the discussion and what to do about it. And we hope to come at this issue not only as Asians, but more importantly as Christians, concerned about justice, reconciliation, and grace. So uh, let me ask both Zephaniah and Angela, um, what are your reactions to what is going on? It's definitely one of a lot of sadness but I think part of it is like being in this area in Brooklyn, like we do see a lot of the after effects and ripples and consequences of it. So I live in Chinatown and maybe a couple of weeks ago, there was a killing, a stabbing that was very close to where I live and people were protesting, marching, but I think all too soon and all too quickly, like it fades away. And so we're definitely trying to make ripples, but our ripples don't last. And it's not that we have to constantly keep making ripples, but I think the thing about having a river of peace is that it flows. If you keep throwing rocks at it to cause ripples, it's just going to be, you know, no longer a river that flows, but just a bunch of rocks that dry up that hope. So I think we need to find valuable ways to collaborate with those around us, but it's just difficult when everyone seems to be wanting to protect their own culture and groups. So I think that's just a lot of dialogue needs to happen very quickly for healing to begin. Yeah, I think I'm honestly scared. <laughs> like, because there's so many more stories, right? There's so many instances. And I think it's getting closer and closer to my home, Washington State. And more than being scared for myself i'm scared for like my mom and my grandma because it seems like most of these attacks are to the elderly and to the like more helpless population and so i know like my mom and grandma like to take walks outside in the neighborhood but the neighborhood isn't the most safe and so like my gut reaction is to call them to 
like tell them not to go out or to get like pepper spray or something to protect themselves because <laughs> of these like actions. And I actually got pepper spray for myself. I mean, you're in Texas honest. right now. You're in Texas. You can get a gun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a different talk there. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just like, I am scared. And it it is hard watching these videos. And I think, though, like, I recognize it's mo mostly elderly people that are being targeted, which is something we'll talk about later. But yeah, I think my initial reaction is definitely fear, but also rage, anger, but feeling like I can't say anything because I don't want to say things out of anger, you know, like as Christians, like, I think it's valuable to like, think, be slow to speak, to process, and then, and then kind of talk about it, which I hope that this space will be. And so, yeah, honestly, I haven't really talked or spoken out about it yet because I just don't know how to react. Yeah, I, surprisingly, I haven't been that angry. I, which I, I tend to think of myself as having a strong sense of justice and would get angry about stuff like this. But I think it's been more like sadness, as well as just honest, like puzzled, being just puzzled and, and confused, like, because I see the videos of a lot of these attacks and it just seems so incredibly irrational and like out of nowhere that I'm just like really like wondering like what's going on in these people's heads that would lead them to these really violent outbursts. And so, so that's kind of been my initial reaction. I haven't honestly been so much afraid for myself. Um, and maybe slightly concerned for my parents, but they don't really go out too much. And uh, I don't really see a whole lot of that where I am in uh, around Dallas, Texas. There hasn't been too much of that, I think. So yeah, for me, it's more like sadness and confusion of what's when what's kind of going on and um, just trying to figure out what's motivating a lot of these people and, you know, what can be done about it. So, you know, and a lot of people I think are trying to make sense of what's happening. And so that's why there are a lot of narratives being put out there in media and in social media and typically heavily politicized narratives with people choosing particular narratives to try to frame the discussion. Um, so I will, list out a few of them and I want to ask you all's reaction to them and what you think about them and what maybe we as Christians, Asian Christians can do differently or react differently. So for example, I'm going to pick on both sides here and I am talking just generally, not universally, um, the left. They're blaming people like Donald Trump, their famous, their, their most favorite punching bag for calling the coronavirus the Chinese virus in a tweet, right? He did that uh, uh, sometime last year. So people are referring to that again to continue to blame him for the rise of anti-Asian violence. Um, also blaming white people and quote unquote white supremacy. Um, even though most of the attacks being perpetrated against Asians right now are, other, are by other minorities. And that's something we'll talk about later, but that's, that's just a fact. And so, and it's not just 
black people saying this like oh blaming the white people it's even other asians saying this so i saw an asian doctor recently tweet um let me read that tweet to you black on asian crimes only occur because of our system of white supremacy that strips african-americans of their economic opportunities while taking respect and dignity away from asian americans also, white people in power are experts at dividing and conquering to stay in power. So that's uh, from an Asian doctor. Now, on the other side, the right, um, they're blaming things like the prevalence of broken Black families, which leads to high levels of violent crime. Because again, most of these attacks are being perpetrated by African-Americans. And they're also, they're also using an economic argument, but, but blaming a different source. So they're blaming like democratic policies in a lot of these cities and states that um, they think keep minorities poor and more prone to crime. So these are kind of the popular narratives that at least I've seen around social media and the media. So what do you guys think about these narratives and how maybe we could be different? I think for me personally, what Trump said about the virus, calling it the Chinese virus or whatever, wasn't a big deal for me, but because he is a person of power, a, a world leader, I think people can take that and add it to their type of like hate or whatever, a part of group that they're a part of and keep pushing that soundbite into something else. And so I think in terms of thinking about what we're going to do with these narratives, it's very difficult to change because people are already so entrenched in those types of beliefs. So it's not good to fight fire with fire, but I think my approach is always like, what is a way that we can build a bridge to accommodate and to collaborate? So, Yeah, and regarding your Donald Trump point, I got a lot of people mad at me for pointing this out last year, is that it was, and I'm not a Donald Trump fan. I didn't vote for him, don't like him. But people act like, A, he was the first person to call it the Chinese or the Wuhan virus, which is false. The media had been doing it for months before he said that. And then two, they act like this is the first time people have colloquially named a virus based upon the region they think it comes from. And there's like multiple examples of this. There's Zika virus, Ebola virus, Lyme disease, um, West Nile, um, Spanish flu, even though it didn't come from Spain, most likely, um, Hong Kong flu, MERS, which stands for Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. And people have been using this forever. And I think it was very intellectually dishonest for a lot of people to react to Donald Trump that way. And it, it, was, it was pretty odd why they did is because he he was the one who said it and that's not again some people think i'm trying to defend him as a person i'm not i just think building narratives like this doesn't help because it's not based upon truth and also ignores the fact that asian violence had already been on the rise because it's not like people didn't know that it came from china <laughs> you know regardless of what you call it it people knew. I mean, even I think I heard I was hearing last January, people were like Uber drivers were not refusing to pick up people from the airport who had like Chinese sounding names. 
so it it was yeah i just i just find kind of a lot of that silly but anyway. yeah i think i agree with that it's like like i think it's both right it's trump definitely wasn't the first to call it the chinese virus nor was he like the person who initiated that but at the same time he is someone in power and the fact that he kind of publicized it even more i think added to that problem so i think it's both but either way i think it's i don't appreciate how the media is using it for their agenda either way the left or the right um you blaming donald trump is to just advance like their own party and their own president and their own a thing that they want to do when it's more so just a distraction at that point and another thing is like i've seen the white supremacy so much on my instagram like the white Maybe supremacy argument you mean yeah yeah, yeah like <laughs> no yeah like the fact that everything is tied to white supremacy these attacks of like asian people are because of white supremacy when like the people weren't even white and i'm like low-key frustrated by that because it's like I understand where they're coming from I understand the ideology and the worldview that they have to why they said that but it's just wrong <laughs> it's just well, I call it a narrative in search of evidence <laughs> when they do that because yeah it's it's clearly they're force feeding um what's happening into their particular framework which is right important. and and it just like is unhelpful really like when you label it white supremacy it takes away responsibility of the individual attacker right and it's just yeah extremely unhelpful and i really don't like it and a lot of my seattle friends have been posting it so if you're listening i'm sorry but not sorry <laughs> please <laughs> please no more like um but with that i also see the other kind of extreme like you said people blaming black people because a lot of the attacks i don't know the percentage i don't know the statistics but a lot of what i've seen or the stories that have been covered is a lot of african americans attacking these uh asian people and so i see the right using that and generalizing right and like blaming a whole people group when again it's the individual attacker it's not a whole group of race like that's racist right to say it's white supremacy is also racist so both are very unhelpful and like yeah it's just distracting from the actual problem the actual victim and the actual attacker and i think that's kind of where i'm at it's like that i don't like how the media is making it political when it's like it's a human thing that happened you know it's sad and it's scary and so yeah that's the end of my soap opera thank you yeah i mean i think that's kind of unfortunately especially in our era of social media like the first thing people try to do is wep weaponize stories in order to attack their political opponents and that's kind of a lot of people's first reaction and instinct it's very unfortunate but with that in mind so we're kind of seeing problems with both the left and the right and how they address the, this problem you know, how, how can we be different? You know, how could Christians who, who are also Asian and want to be biblically based, how can we um, address this issue differently? My initial reaction is anger, right? It's, it's 
like obviously I want justice for the attacker, especially because a lot of these attacks are out of nowhere. It's not warranted at all. Like there's just no reasoning. They're just walking and then they're attacked, right? And a lot of these people pass away, especially the elderly that are attacked. And it's just sad. And like my flesh wants revenge. <laughs> like honestly, it wants revenge <laughs> in the sense of like <laughs> thinking about my own grandma being killed by being pushed to the ground randomly out of nowhere. Like that's, yeah, right? So my flesh wants revenge and wants to react in a way it's like eye for an eye but obviously that's not that's not the way of christ and it's like we want to offer grace right we want to um be generous and like forgiving and walking with these people and like understanding like the why and even if the why is wrong it's like to love them in that right i know that's like easier said than done and that's like such a like mother Teresa thing to say but <laughs> like, but that is what we're called to we are called to love our enemies and we are called to forgive those you know who wrong us and be generous and to take care of those people and so like i don't want to act like that's an easy thing and i want to be honest with like how i would really react but at the same time i know that's what the bible says and that's what god did for us right it's like we did the most horrible things against God and yet he like still pursued us in that by sending Jesus so I know that's the Christian answer but that's how we should react and how we are different from the world in that way I think one thing is like in terms of how a Christian should react especially Asian American I think definitions are changing constantly and so very recently I think even the word racism has been recently updated to accommodate systemic systems of oppression and whatnot. So, and with that being said, it's like people are redefining what things mean. And that's part of life, but sometimes it's dangerous because if you add in what you think a word means, then the word itself no longer means it. Like what it, so the, the connotation takes over the denotation, so to speak. And so I think in the Christian wor world, we can't change what forgiveness means, if that makes sense. So the Bible says that the one who is hurt should initiate that forgiveness. And that's not a popular thing to say, right? Like, you know, the one who was hurt should be the one who forgives. And forgiveness is something that occurs 70 times seven or basically no limit. And that's so difficult for us because like Angela was saying, your flesh wants to fight back. It wants to have revenge. It wants to explode, just to be emotional. It doesn't want to have any type of self-control, but like as Christians and also as Asian Americans, like forgiveness is that step towards healing. Now that doesn't mean it's just easy to do. But it means for us to be more like Christ, like that's what we have to push instead of like our own voices or hatred or bitterness or like, you know, sounding off on races or just distracting the distracting ourselves from the real issue. Right. So and I don't want to oversimplify and just be like, oh, it's an issue. Move on, whatever. It's like, you know, these emotions and these experiences are real and we can't erase them and bring these people back. So the consequences are felt by everyone, even though we weren't maybe directly responsible for it. But I think something for me is like, in terms of definitions, like the world is changing what we think we should believe in. 
and defining it however they want. But we as Christians can't do that. Yeah, and to your point, I even seen Christians say things online like, hey, don't tell minorities to forgive. It's like, you know, whoever they want to blame, usually white people. Tell the white guy that he needs to basically grovel at our feet and beg for forgiveness, and then maybe we'll forgive them. And, and these people get mad at me when I point out, hey, like, that doesn't look like the idea of reconciliation that we see in like 2 Corinthians 5 and Paul's very famous passage on reconciliation, because it is God who is initiating reconciliation. It is through Jesus Christ. It is God who is um, making, who is imploring people to respond through someone like Paul, even though God is not the one who is the wrong party, so to speak. It's clearly sinners, everyone else. And so that's the picture of reconciliation we get as Christians. Um, that's kind of what we should be doing to others. And, you know, I think, like you said, he has a very powerful point, but not an easy one. You know, it's, it is, we, we want vengeance, we want payback. And, um, and, and that's what we're usually seeing in most people's reactions um, out there in the world. And so for me, you know, I think with that in mind, you know, we want to have a posture of reconciliation. Kind of one thing I'm big upon, big on is something called charitable interpretation, which I think is missing a lot these days when people discuss matters. So things like Christians can do just very basic, like even if you disagree with someone on like solutions or like how to frame a discussion, try not to make very uncharitable emotional accusations. Like just because some people may not frame Asian violence in the exact same way or, or come up with the same solutions. It doesn't mean one side or the other doesn't care about the violence, right? I think everyone who's rational thinks that what's happening is not okay and it's wrong. So let's start there. Let's grant everyone that kind of baseline charity and grieve with those who grieve and not try to use this to snipe at other people because doing that just kills rational discussion. I see that all the time. Like, you're a racist, you're this, you don't care. And it's like, okay. Um, and I think this is difficult, but we, we do need to grieve with those who grieve. But at some point we need to, to approach these issues with calm and sober reasoning. And I think scripture tells us to be sober and wise in this way. And so we need to be evidence-based. And we talked about the problems with those previous narratives, but they're not evidence-based. They're just trying to force feed evidence into their framework. And so in, in the reason and the motivation that they, they, they have for that is so that they can use it to attack their political opponents. And so I think rather than like lashing out with poorly thought out takes on social media, we should try to really build what we think based upon what's actually happening, what evidence we have at the moment. And of course, you know, that's always an ongoing thing as we get more and more evidence. And a test case for this, and this is not popular to say, is the Atlanta shooting, which got the most attention, even though ironically, unlike some other violent acts against Asians, it's actually not certain that the shooter, I think his name is Robert Aaron Long, was racially motivated. Um, he himself said he was motivated by his own kind of religious reasons. We can talk about that if we want to, because that actually ticked me off the most because he was trying to 
you know, basically bring in Jesus to his stupid reasoning, which really annoyed me. Um, but, and this was even confirmed by like his ex-roommate that he had some sort of sex problem and he was really, I guess, worried about his salvation and that's why he acted the way he did. And so obviously what he did was horrible, whatever his motivations are, but I'm not 100% sure that he was racially motivated. I don't think we know that yet. He could have been, you know, maybe that evidence will come, but we don't know. And unfortunately, just saying that makes a lot of people angry because again, they're looking for a narrative to push rather than really wanting to wait for evidence. And, and you know, since we are on the topic of the Atlanta shooting, which we haven't brought up yet, you know, do you all have any thoughts about that particular event? Yeah, I mean, I know he confessed. Okay, actually, first of all, a lot of Asian attacks have been happening before this shooting. And I know a criticism of a lot of people was the fact that media didn't cover the other Asian hate crimes, but the moment that this shooting happened is when Asian hate crimes started getting more press. And some people are saying that it's because he's like white and he fits kind of the narrative of what the media wants. Um, but I'm not gonna touch on that because yeah. I'm not going to touch on that. I know. I mean, Isaac that, I mean that, let's be real. But... That was transparently true. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. I mean, it's it's the perfect right. It's gun control. Yeah. You got Asian hate. You got some white supremacy sprinkled in there. Yes. So it's 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 a good story. Um. So there there's that, and then two, it's like, yes, according to the shooter. He did say the reasoning for his shooting is not necessarily Asian hate, but it's more of the purity and like the sex and Christian whatever. Okay, but I, I guess like to kind of push back on the fact that like, oh, it's only like about purity. Some people are saying that it's because like one, the Fed is wait fetish fetishization yeah of Asian fetishization <laughs> the difficult fetishization word. <laughs> of asian women and how like because i think most like there were six seven people that passed eight away people died six of them were asians eight people yeah, and died two, two okay were and then four korean yeah too white okay and so like some people are saying like because it's like the fetishizing of like these asian women that that's why it's like linked to the whole purity sex thing and that's why it's in that way like asian hate uh how would you guys um like i guess respond to that if it's not so i, I want to make two quick comments so I remember when I was taking English at TCU, we were reading Jeffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. And our, our professor was asking us what we thought of it. And so we were just giving our analysis. And she started saying like, do you realize that this, this writing and this book is actually all about sex? So first I was like, what? And then the more she explained it, she was like, this is what he means. This is what he means, this is what he means. And so I can understand why people 
of different viewpoints, right? I may not agree with them, but you know they're there. So definitely, this whole fetishization of Asian women, I can I can understand that. But at the same time, it's like kind of like echoing thoughts earlier. It's okay to have different interpretations on things, but that's why it's so important to look at the evidence. Like Isaac's been like echoing and hammering in because we're not saying that race is not involved at all. We're just saying we're not sure, right? And so I think that's really important, like to echo that, like in terms of how we interpret things, right, like right. It's, okay, it's okay to see it differently. And I guess my second point is like, uh, Angela brought up this point about purity. And it, that fascinates me because as a pastor, there's definitely been times where I've seen growing up where people have pulled girls aside, but hey, your shirt's too low. Oh, that skirt's too low. You got to go change. Go home and change, right? Or like, oh, you're making your brother stumble. And so I definitely see that a lot. And I remember one time we were at seminary, we couldn't wear cutoffs to work out because a girl was saying that the arms of the guys had made her stumble. And I was like, well, I've never heard that before. But it was interesting because it had been reversed. Maybe your, your arms in particular? <laughs> <laughs> definitely not mine. I was about to say, mine there's no a, guy that has arms that will make me stumble in seminary. Kind of a, <laughs> mine kind of flap in the wind. But anyways, so I think what what's interesting is like, it's not talked about enough where you know, we're all responsible for the decisions we make, right? So sin or not, and to blame it on another person is not okay because you're not then taking responsibility for what's going on. So regardless of this sexual addiction that this guy had, instead of relying on God, he decided to shoot it up, right? And so definitely a very strange response. So then questions of maybe mental health or whatever pop up. But again, like we can't dive into all these things we don't know yet. Um, but I do think it's interesting that these things being brought up aren't any type of safeguards that would have stopped him. You know, like as pastors, we shouldn't be like, if I had just done this more as a disciple, if I had just done this more as a Sunday school teacher or a pastor, et cetera. It's like, look, it's, it's not a point of regret right now. It's about how we continue to build our communities in Christ. And so we have to keep discipling people, even if they don't turn out the way we want them to, because that's what God requires of us, that faithfulness. So I think that's important. Like, even if the person you disciples turns out to be a non-believer at the end or, or whatever, like we can't lose sight of what we're called to do. So that's kind of like what I just wanted to emphasize. Yeah. And, you know, like Jeff and I said, I'm not saying that we know for sure race isn't involved. He could have been racially motivated. I'm just merely pointing out we're not sure yet. I think the only evidence we have that it was racially motivated was like a South Korean news organ, like news report. They they reported that um, he said something about Asians, but I don't think that's been confirmed by anyone else. So that's really the only thing I've heard that would suggest that he was racially motivated. And regarding the things about Asian women. Um, this can go into a whole rabbit hole regarding like sex trafficking. You know, I have a friend who's really, and she's Asian too, but she, she's actually kind of annoyed like that more attention is not put on the whole sex trafficking, sex industry issue. Um, and so there's, there's a whole thing we could talk about there. But yeah, you know, again, we don't know if he just, that was a, those were particular massage spots he went to that just happened to be Asian and offered certain services, or he did have a objectivization, object, he did objectify Asian women, 
or if you simply had yellow fever, which, you know, I'm not, I don't know if that's immoral in and of itself to be attracted to Asian women, but certainly obviously shouldn't objectify Asian women or any woman. And, and again, it's like, you know, as Christians, I just think that we should just be a lot more careful than what people are usually doing. So they see like, an, you know, shooting like this, and they immediately jump to certain narratives. And this was even seen in the next mass shooting that happened like a week later in Boulder, which was a terrible thing too. And people, people in the media were already tweeting immediately, oh, this is what happens, you know, white people and their AR-15s and whatever. And it turns out the guy wasn't white. And so it's just like, wait a second, why can't you just wait? I don't understand why you can't just wait for more evidence before you have to jump out there with your certain narrative. And I think just Christians need to be a lot wiser about that. And we can be wiser and should be wiser. And, uh, and like the rest of y'all said, um, you know, just try to have that more reasonable and grace-oriented approach to this. And that's going to make some people mad because we're not reacting the same way as they are. But I think it's also in the long run going to be a lot better in terms of actually solving issues. I actually had a really good conversation with some of my guys that I grew up with. And like, we're, we're kind of all over the spectrum in terms of like political and even religious beliefs. But one thing that they were saying, and I definitely appreciate the dialogue because, you know, we're, we're all homies, right? And they were saying that the reason why maybe they're so quick to point things out is because they want to stop that type of that sentiment. And so kind of like what Izzy was saying, like, I'm, I'm wanting to see what it is before I say something. It's not because I'm scared to use my voice or hesitant to even speak out. But I think typically if you're, if you're quick to say something, then you also have to own it if you make a mistake. And so that's not what I see. I see a lot of people speaking out because they think it's like the cool thing to do and not owning that mistake and then hating on other people when they make mistakes. So it's just a very difficult double standard slippery slope to kind of stand on because again, I'm not accusing anyone. I'm just saying that this is what I see quite a bit on, on, the, on the media or whatever. And so I think having friends that don't kind of like swing that same spectrum is very important so that you're not just like a, a monolithic type of thing. Like you have the ability to understand different concepts. So, but I thought what they said was interesting because they're like, we, we don't want to see the sentiment grow. So we want to call it out as quick as we can. And I definitely appreciate like their passion and their, their, their want and need to defend like who they are. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, we can't also leave like completely any kind of reasonable type of understanding. I'm not saying they are, I'm just saying like, we're, we're both protecting what we value and what we think is good, so. Yeah, I definitely see that a lot about like, first, like being the first to speak up against something wrong. It's almost like trendy <laughs> to be the first to like speak out against something, which is good, you know, it's great. Love your heart of justice. But like Z said, it's like, sometimes when you're so quick to speak, you like more information comes out and you're wrong. Or like there's things that you said that don't match up with the evidence that's given out. But some people are so prideful that they're not willing to take it back or to apologize for that wrong information. And then two, it's like they attack other people for not speaking up too, like with them at the same time as them. They're saying, oh, you're like silence is violence, you know, and 
they got some catchy phrases not gonna lie but anyway silence is violence and yes. <laughs> <laughs> and like but then there's people like me where I, I like take a while to process you know like i need some time to think and <laughs> that's a lot wiser frankly <laughs> I mean, yeah, but also like it like puts so much pressure to say something and almost puts like all responsibility on just speaking instead of actually doing something to go against it. Yeah. And so with that. Yeah, I think, yeah, I just just mm -hmm. wait, just wait and it's OK. Take your time. Be wise. Yeah. No, that's like one of the worst things about social media because the media and social media it's almost like these days it's better to be first than to be accurate and then because a lot of these people have these like really silly hot takes when more evidence comes out that doesn't cohere with their first comments most people like you said are too prideful so they just double and triple down and they just look sillier and sillier and it's and it's just really bad combination and that's how, so for us, I think Christians, we need to build a narrative with wisdom, with grace. And um, when we do that, I think we're going to just be a lot wiser and avoid kind of very obvious errors. Like we've talked about, like scapegoating a particular race or ethnic group is very counterproductive, whether it's white or black people. And it does a poor job of explaining the evidence because guess what? Like, when I go shopping, grocery store, I see plenty of black and white people. I am not, like, I don't think like, oh my gosh, these people are going to attack me. Like most people are not trying to attack you. Like violent crime in America is still fairly low. Think about the rate of violent crime. And, and also it just places blame on one group without all groups taking responsibility, including Asian people, by the way. I'm not trying to victim blame here, but it's not like Asian people, as you all know, are innocent when it comes to having racist attitudes towards other groups. And, you know, I'm Korean, I've heard it all. Korean people talking about white people, black people, Hispanic people, even other Asians, <laughs> you know, Korean people talk smack about other Asians even. And, you know, I, all of that needs to stop. And so all of us can kind of take some responsibility for that. And so really the narrative that makes the most sense that takes all the evidence to account is like, all groups have sinful people who do messed up things to each other. You know, there you go. And everyone needs to take some responsibility. And that's not political. That doesn't, you know, jump on particular political narratives that people want. But I think that's the truth. So with that kind of narrative, and like we talked about, you know, not scapegoating, not blaming a certain group of people, um, taking responsibility, understanding their sin, and having a posture of grace and reconciliation that God showed through Jesus. You know, what are some specific things, though, that particularly Christians can do in our churches and communities to help mitigate a problem like this? Yeah, I think something you can do is be friends with other ethnicities <laughs> i don't know okay <laughs> i don't know if that's um like for example like i find it very comfortable to be friends with just other koreans like because they know the culture they know the food they know 
like the Korean inside jokes, whatever. It's just really comfortable to be with other Koreans. But I realized like, I really need to diversify my friend group. Just not, not just cause you know, everything that's been going on, but because they have viewpoints and they have things that they voice that I don't get when my friends are just Korean. And I find it so valuable to have hard conversations of uh, other people and other races and just learning from each other and really um, forming that unity that heaven is going to be like, right? And I think that's like probably one of the better things that came from all these movements of like BLM, Asian hate, whatever. Like, it's like, it's true. Like we do need to break down the racial like judgments that we have and find unity in that. And I think that's something the church needs to be better at to network with other churches, not just Korean churches, but all kinds of churches to be a people that shows that picture. And yeah, I don't want to just make it a race thing, but there's value in that. Yeah, just kind of echoing those sentiments, like the, the difficulty is what I see is kind of echoed in Galatians 6, kind of one to five, where everyone has their own burdens, but in terms of sin, we have to bear it together. What seems to be happening is that people are making it about like, like they're not letting go of that pain and that creates more baggage, right? And by not letting that go and not letting others bear it for you, it becomes unbearable. So I think the more that we segregate, it kind of ruins our ability um, to, to stay unified. You know, it, it kind of makes that uni unity like dissipate and, and disappear. And so kind of like what Angela was saying, like it, like having friends with different races doesn't make you like, it's not about like being cool, but it's like, it's more so like we're, we're supposed to reach people for Christ. So again, nothing wrong with feeling comfortable with like a set of friends, but like we have to go out of our way to, to show others like what Christ means when he says that there's no distinction in him. And, you know, it's true. Like they say, I forgot who said this, but Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America because people go to their own churches. And it's kind of ironic to see how, like, if we don't echo the radicalness of the gospel, then how can we expect people to accept what the church says? So that's kind of how I view it. Yeah, and I'm Korean, but I grew up in little old Abilene, Texas. So I actually recently went back to preach there at my home church uh, about a week or two ago, and I brought my wife. So this first time my wife went to my hometown and I hadn't been there in years. So I showed her around. It took like, you know, 30 minutes, but it was a small city and not much there, even though it's kind of developing now. And because it's a small town, um, I had barely any Asian friends growing up. And um, there are not a lot of Asian people there. So I was forced to make friends with pretty much everybody who's not Asian. And I actually remember going to a place like UT Austin, which is, you know, liberal, bigger UT Austin. But one of the first things I remember that struck me when I went there was how segregated it was. Like in terms of not like the school has segregation policies, of course it doesn't, but like how people chose to hang out with just their own ethnic groups. Um, that was very striking to me. And it actually made me thankful 
growing up the way I did, even though I didn't have a lot of Asian friends and that came with its own challenges because I was like, Hey, like I, I knew what it was like to relate to people who are very different than me. And that gave me some good perspective and made me a lot more hesitant to just blame people who look different than me, who have a different culture than me. And yeah, I think that's very important to, to do, to try to aim for. And even if you're part of an ethnic church, which is not a wrong thing, I think, I think it's good to try to do ministry for other ethnic groups or with other ethnic groups, because that, you know, again, gives us a lot of good perspective in like, hey, like we're at the end of the day, we are all human beings made in the image of God. And we really shouldn't be viewing each other antagonistically just because we look different. We speak a different language, we eat different food and so on. So I think, yeah, you're, you know, as somewhat simple as it might sound like, yeah, spending time with different groups and making that effort to befriend different groups is a, is an important step. And, and for us as Christians, just doing ministry and not just kind of putting ourselves in a, in a bubble, I think would be very important, but it's hard. You know, I, am not going to sit here and pretend that I know everything to do. Like I don't like when I see things like this on video, I'm sometimes confused on what to do next. Um, so I don't know. I do think we should be concerned though. And, and what I am confident though, is that we should not fear like the world. We shouldn't hate like the world and we shouldn't scapegoat like the world. And I don't, I just don't think more factionalism is going to work. Um, and what do y'all think? You know, what are, what are other kind of action items we can try to do as Christians? So what I was saying before, or what we were saying before, like talking about how it's like, yes, we should speak. I think the action of speaking up and letting people know what's going on is actually very good. It's a valuable thing and a needed thing, but we need to be wise when we speak. We need to wait kind of think through process. And I almost want to encourage people to first talk to other people, talk to people that will challenge your views, will have better discussion, not an echo chamber of other people that agree with you, but to listen to both sides and to evaluate and then speak up. I think that would help so much from like, and it's such a simple thing, right? Just to educate yourself more and to speak up about that accordingly, not just on social media through like a post that you saw that was really well written or has a nice rhyme to it, but really thinking through and um, posting, but also just more so having com real life conversations about these things. Like I think something I really appreciated was my friends that aren't Asian just texting me like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, Hey, how are, like, how are you processing everything? And just them giving me a space to process with them. And I think that was really helpful and a really practical way to show that you care and that you want to learn and, um, an action that really helps the Asian community feel loved for. Well, I think with that, we can end this and, you know, and I think that's some a good word from Angela. And 
just a reminder, you know, as Christians, first and foremost, we want to point people back to Christ and what we do and what we say. And so that's kind of what we should be striving for. Um, this has been the Inter-Christianity Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.